Hey, good to see you guys here this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 3, and I'm preaching verses 31 through 36. Um, You might be asking, wait a minute, we were in John 4, shouldn't we be moving forward to John 5? And basically, here's the gist of it. I feel like I blew uh, a passage, or at least blew over a passage. As I was teaching John 3, the last time that I taught um, these verses, I kind of lumped it in to, at the end of this, the, this uh, conversation between John the Baptist and his disciples, and you know, he must increase and I must increase. And, and really, honestly, this last week, I was, I was burdened and, and convicted to go back, and this thing needs to stand on its own. So you might remember, I've read verses 31 through 36 weeks ago. Um, but I feel like I kind of blew over it. And uh, it's very, very important that I not do that. So that's why we're moving backwards a little bit. So forgive me for uh, perhaps not uh, slicing that pie uh, as it should have been sliced that week. But uh, here we are making up for that. And I will warn you that it's, uh, it's heavy. Um, today is a heavy day because it's a heavy text. Uh, it's heavy because if you hear it, um, you're held accountable uh, for, for the truth that's in it. Um, and just as it, would, it, it, it was meant to have a great kind of climax in its original context, um, in this conversation that was happening between people, it, it's also meant to have a great climax uh, even today. Uh, and that great climax is, is a choice of believing or obeying the Son of God, who is Jesus, or it's, it's disbelieving and, in essence, disobeying Him and, and facing His wrath. Uh, so that's why it's, it's heavy. We don't trifle with the wrath of God. It's a heavy thing that uh, I lose sleep over. So let me read it. John 3, uh, verses 31 through 36. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Listen, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, may you open up your word to us. We cannot understand it. We cannot apply it. We cannot grab it. We cannot get it without your Holy Spirit breathing life into our minds, into our bodies, into our hearts. So would you do that for your namesake and for the good of your people this morning? We ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Many people believe in God or don't believe in God for many different reasons. Uh, you know people uh, in, in 
in many different camps who believe in God because of this or they don't believe in God because of that. Now, we know that there's only one true, authentic uh, reason for belief in the one true, authentic God of the Bible. You know, it's that the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart. He shows you truly that this Creator is, is personal. Um, he shows you your sin. And you can do nothing but run to Him or, or, or run away. So we know that's the only reason. But for many, God is, is an idea or He's a reality for many different reasons. For some, it's just the end result of logical reasoning. Here's what I mean by that. Some people stand and they, they look in nature. They go to the Grand Canyon. Uh, they, they go to Estes Park, Colorado. They look at a beautiful sunset and they go, it's beautiful, there has to be a God. There has to be a Creator. And that's true, right? God did create, so He created beauty. But, but that's their reasoning as well. That there has to be intelligent design out there. Uh, for some, they view ethical justice. You know, the fact that we are repulsed by things that are unethical or things... We want justice to be served, you know, in an instance where someone's shot. You know, they're murdered in cold blood. We, we feel this need for justice. And so some say, because there's that voice in there, there, there has to be a greater being, there has to be a God. For some, it's just the vastness of the universe... You know, it's this place is huge. There's no way it just happened. Or the, the order of matter, the way things work and stick together, there just has to be a God. For others, they argue their belief of God on, um, on, based on someone maybe that they know. God was so real to my grandma, you know, so he has to be real. He's so real to my parents, so he's got to be real. He's so real to, you know, uh, the staff at church or leaders at church, so he's got to be real. Now listen, there are elements of truth found in all of these conclusions, but there's something that's gravely missing from all of them. And here's what's missing from all of those accounts. What's missing is a personal experience of God. Intimate acquaintance, experiential knowledge. You know, some people can admit his existence because it's kind of like, eh, why not? Surely this stuff happened by someone and something out there, so sure, he exists. We can admit that. But many people, many in this room, have in no way experienced him in a personal way. This passage, my friends, it's talking about a personal God. It's highlighting a personal Jesus. And this Jesus came to bear witness to two things, both God's kindness and His severity. So that's our big point this morning. Jesus came to bear personal witness. He was sent as a messenger, as a witness to God's kindness and His severity. So for those of you who are are anywhere on the spectrum for which God might seem unreal. It just might seem like a stretch at times. He might just seem unreal. For any of you who are on the spectrum of that, these verses are for you. So would you just walk through them with me? Then I'm going to give you two quick points of application at the end. But look with me in verse 31. What, what What is John communicating here? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven 
is above all. Listen, John's intent here is basically telling us this. Hey, listen to this guy. He's not like you. He's not, he's not of the earth. He's from heaven. Listen to this guy. And listen, Jesus himself was not shy about telling people who he was. Later in John uh, 8.23, Jesus would say, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. So there's some serious differences going on right off the bat. And Jesus would say, Hey, I'm not like you. So don't make me like you. We're not just, you know, hey, we're hanging in there. We're the same. I'm not like you. Romans 9.5, it calls Jesus God over all. Uh, 1 John 4, verses 5 and 6, it talks about there being big differences in languages and concepts that are from the earth and languages and concepts that are not of the earth. So listen, let that encourage you when your life doesn't seem to make sense out there. Uh, when you hold fast to ideals and doctrines and values that seem otherworldly, be encouraged that that's how it's supposed to be. Be encouraged that maybe some of the decisions that you make or that you don't make are weird. Be encouraged by that. God's Word would encourage us in that this morning. Verse 32, let's just keep, keep walking through it here. What is this telling us? He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He's talking about Jesus, and it calls him a witness. He bears witness to what he has seen and what he's heard. So verse 32 tells us that Jesus is a witness sent from the Father. He's telling us what he's seen and heard firsthand. From God the Father. He's a messenger, a witness. And listen, this is the kind of witness you want if you're a Chris Myatt, you know, attorney at law. He's a really good witness. I mean, here's what makes a good witness. He's, he's seen things firsthand. So, you know, Chris is an attorney, so say he has some client, uh, it's Lowe's. And say Lowe's is being sued because a guy fakes an injury. You know, on aisle seven, he's looking for a vacuum filter and there was like a bunch of Hawaiian punch and I just, you know, fell and broke my, you know, femur. And he's lying and all this. What you want is a guy who was there. He's firsthand. He can see it. Well, Jesus was there firsthand. Why? Because he's existed before the foundation of the world. He and the Father are one. So he's, he's seen things firsthand. He's willing to testify. That's another thing that makes a good witness. I mean, you can have someone who was there, but if they're going, no, no, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with this, I'm not going to talk, or I'm not going to be able to tell it well. He was there firsthand, he was willing, and also, he's reliable. This is what the text tells us. He's, the, he's, he's God. Our text also tells us at this point, very few were believing. You know, it says, it says, Yet no one receives his testimony. Now, that doesn't actually mean no one. What it means is up to this point, at least, very few were actually trusting that Jesus was who he says he was. Very few were actually submitting. Very few were actually obeying. Has much changed since then? I mean, maybe Christianity or organized religion is hanging on in our country or in the South. But put yourself in your math class, even a Christian math class. How many people have, have actually, truly, really 
received his testimony? You know, how many have actually submitted? How many have actually trusted? How many actually obey? Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. That's saying that for those of us who have believed, we're, we're stamping a seal that what God says is true. You know what a seal is, right? Not like SeaWorld, like a er, er seal. You know what a seal is? It's like this stamp of, of authenticity. You know, you see it on food packaging or cars or legal documents. Actually, in this day, it was like this wax kind of clay that would go over uh, documents to say it's been checked, it's been tested, no one's tampered with it, it's, it's true, it's real. And so what this is saying is that our true belief in the Son's testimony, it verifies God's truthfulness. Verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So God sends Jesus... And he utters the very words of God. So this is what it tells us. Jesus as a prophet doesn't come just with his own agenda kind of spouting off words that he just kind of wants to. He's speaking the words of God. You want to know how to, how to spot a false prophet? Whose words is he speaking? You know, the leaders of cults and all that who go and basically manipulate their disciples, manipulate their followers. You know, uh, David Koresh. I don't know if you've ever studied or heard of him, this crazy cult, you know, big bad thing years ago, went down in Waco, Texas. He was basically, the words that he was speaking were, uh, every woman in the camp uh, gets to have, needs to have sex with me. And, and that's, God told me that. God told me that. Well, is that consistent with anything in here in which God has given us or spoken? No. See, Jesus came to fulfill... The prophecies. He came delivering a message directly from God that was consistent to what He had given and told His people. He wasn't just setting up a comfortable life for Himself. That's how we spot a false prophet. And it also says that Jesus received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know, think about this. Isn't this something that we desire and we pray and we want often? God, fill us with Your Spirit. Fill us with Your Spirit because I'm scared. I'm going to witness to this person, this friend. I can't do it. Fill me with your spirit. But what do we do? We squander it. We sin. There's sin in us. Some that we know about. A lot that we don't. And so it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it's like we don't have the... the, the, We're not clicking on all cylinders. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. So He's received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He enjoys the fullness of the Spirit. He... He did, wasn't just assigned a little bit to go out and carry us, you know, out this, this specific task. He experiences the fullness. So he's powerful. Verse 35 gives us a glimpse of the father-son relationship within the Trinity. It said, it got, and God says what he means. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He's given all authority to the son. He loves the son. And here's what's beautiful about the gospel when we're in the Son, when we have trusted in a faith that's you know, been, been given to us, when we trust in Jesus and, and we're united with Him, we're in the Son, God views us as He does His Son. So 
So all these benefits that Jesus gets, this, this relationship, this, this perfect love within the Trinity, we get that when we're, when we're in Christ, when we're under Christ. That's a beautiful point of application for this gospel. And then finally, in verse 36, and this is where it gets good, and this is where it gets heavy. Listen, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Guys, we have the good news of the gospel, as well as the terrible news of not embracing it fully. And that's where I want to camp out with the remainder of our time and and pull some things to apply here. And the first thing I want you to notice is this. Believing is obeying. This is good news. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is the good news. This is what Jesus' ministry was about. Uh, Sent from the loving heart of God to offer rescue to those who would believe. And, And this belief, it brings about eternal life, this supernatural rebirth of the Spirit into this this endless kingdom of God, changing everything about you. That's good news. That's beautiful. You've heard this, right? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You've got your mind wrapped around that, right? But do you understand it? Do you understand what it means to believe? I think this is where many of you have a false assurance of your salvation. Because you go, whoever believes, ah, I'm in the South, Uh, sure, why not? Jesus, you did a thing. And I'm bad, but you forgive. You're just kind of this universal sweet grandfather. Everyone's born a child of God. We do bad things to err as human. But you kind of go, but I'm going to do that cross thing. And I took care of all of it. That's your understanding of belief. That is not our text's understanding of belief. And verse 36, it's incredibly helpful in that it tells us what believing is. A lot of you just want to know, well, what is it? I I thought all I had to do was just dream up or imagine or just kind of, you know, ascend in in a cognitive sense to this thing. Verse 36 tells us it's obeying. Just doing simple English shows us that. The juxtaposition of believes and obey says it all. Here's what I mean. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. What our text doesn't say is whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. Why does it do that? Because it wants to define belief for us. It doesn't want us to miss that believing is obeying. Uh, Brent Wilkins is my uh, immediate supervisor. He's my boss here here at the church. Many of you think that it's uh, Ian Curry, but it's not. Okay, it's Brent Wilkins. Now I believe that, but if Brent asks me to do something and I just totally ignore it, do I really believe it? No, and I've just proved it in my, in my disobedience. Oh, yeah, 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 he's the boss. What he says goes. But he asked me to do something, and, and I'm not going to do it. So do I, do I actually believe that he has authority? Do I actually believe he's my boss? Well, no, and I just proved it. Wait a minute, Landon. Are you saying that an essential element to genuine saving faith 
is that belief is portrayed as obedience? Is that what you're saying? Isn't that like a, a works salvation? Isn't that what you preach against? That scares me. That scares me worse than Brady's squirrel outfit. Is that really what you're saying? Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm stretching. But I don't, I don't know. Let's check, with, uh, let's check with my boy Luke. Let's check with my boy Luke in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. What's he say? And the word of God continued to increase... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Listen, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hmm, that's not enough. What about, what about my boy Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 5? What's he say about this equation? Uh, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, among all the nations. What if we flipped over to Romans chapter 15, verse 18? What does Paul have to say about this correlation there? Romans 15, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. What about Romans chapter 16, verse 26? but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Oh, that's not enough. What about 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8? In flaming fire, it's talking about the, 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 the judgment at Christ's coming. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What about Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9? And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. You see, whoever believes or obeys the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So if believing is obeying, then then disbelieving is disobeying. These things are interchangeable. The NIV actually translated it. It doesn't say whoever does not obey the Son. It says whoever rejects the Son. And that's a good translation. I want you to think about that. That's big because for many of you, I want you to look up here and listen. Almost all of you in this room would say that you have a testimony. You would say that you have a belief. Everyone in this room is not truly obedient to the gospel. Many of you have rejected it, and you think you're okay. This is an interchangeable thing. You haven't actually submitted. You do things your way, and you have disobeyed, and the word rejects is used there. I want you to think about that. So what happens? What what does not seeing life mean? Is it that big of a deal? Is God's wrath that bad? What does it look like? I want you to focus on this. God's wrath remains. You see, disbelief or disobedience or rejection, it warrants, listen, a personal response of wrath from a personal God. 
it's not just like in eternity, things happen and you get there. And it was like, oh, well, I just, I tried, but I really didn't know. I never saw you. You never did any huge like miracle. You didn't part the sky and speak to me. You never Snapchatted me. I just didn't really know. I just didn't know. So kind of just lump me in with a, a category of people who we're, we just kind of, we tried, but we just didn't know. And just, just kind, of, kind of deal with us all you know, together over here. If you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel of Christ, you will either walk out encouraged by it, clinging more to the cross, or you will walk out rejecting it personally. And God's response to that is not just a, well, there's a couple billion people over there who just, maybe I didn't make myself clear enough. I'll tell you what, I'll deal with you all later. It is a personal, a personal wrath to everyone who disbelieves, disobeys, rejects the Son. This is what our text tells us. And that's hard. Guys, it's difficult for us to reconcile this, this notion of holding together Love, which we just read about all throughout John 3, John 3, 16. God, God is love. Of course He is. It's hard for us to go, wait, wait, wait. Love and wrath? Are you How? I mean, don't we want to go, ah, if we could just tame God, He would be much more marketable? I mean, isn't that the problem that the world has with us? You mean to tell me it's, it's this one way... And, and everyone else suffers an eternity in hell if it's not this one way. Isn't that, isn't that the great uh, stumbling block of the cross? Isn't that what makes us you know, look like arrogant jerks? We want to tame God. We want to go, whoa, 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 easy. Wrath? I could see a wrist slap. Because, yeah, I, I cheated on my taxes. Okay, yeah, I cheated on that exam. Okay, yes. I was disrespectful, I was disobedient, but I'm trying, I'm trying to help people. I watched a thing on YouTube the other day, it was a, um, a Christian, and he might not have been one, but he was, he was representing the, the Christian cause, and an atheist, and they had this little debate, I need to send it out to you, you'd be interested, it was eight minutes, it was, it was like on a comedy show, and, uh, and that atheist was going, he was just going, man, I don't believe in God, because like, I'm, I'm doing fine. Like, I try to help people. I try to be a good person. And when I get to, you know, heaven or wherever, and if a God tells me that wasn't good enough, then he's a sociopath. And I want to go as far away from him as possible. It was his exact words. And that's the mindset of many of us. We go, geez, wrath? I mean, for what? We're not really that bad down here, God. First of all, you got to know this. God's wrath is as much a consistent part of his attributes as his love. That's hard for us to get because uh, our wrath is so tainted. You know, we think of our dad getting super mad and sinning in his anger, you know, and kind of yelling and going off the handle. So when we think of wrath, we go, ooh, we equate that to sin, but God is a perfect God, and wrath is a perfect quality of his attributes. And I can promise you, you don't want it any other way. You want a God who abhors evil and sin and can have nothing to do with it. He can't settle for even just a little bit. You do not want a God who is just okay 
You know, everyone wants to talk about God's love, but God is love. Of course He's love. So that's the reason any of us have any chance. Of course He is. And His love is manifested in, in providing a way out of that wrath, from underneath that wrath, through the death of His Son. But to say, oh, heck, everyone's in. You rascals aren't so bad after all. That completely strips God of His godness and His holiness, and it makes the gospel a joke. You want to know why? Because if God is okay with the things that are in my head and my heart and the things that happen in this world, if He's okay with that, then I don't want to have anything to do with that God. That's not a good God. You see, the correct response is, I don't want to dismiss God's wrath. I don't want to water it down. I don't want to tuck it away over here. It's to stand and go, wow. Wow, if this God... If, if, if this is God's just punishment for stealing His glory and belittling His name, and if that's what I do and that's what the world does, then this must be a mighty and a big and an infinitely glorious God. I want to be with that God. I don't want to be against Him. That's the correct response to God's wrath. Not a, you're unfair, you jerk, we're not that bad. Were you there when He created? You know, it's one of my favorite parts of Job. Job's going... Jeez, like I'm under it. What are you doing? I haven't done anything. He goes, hey, as I'm like throwing mountains into existence and as I'm creating like the world, where were you? Oh yeah, you you didn't exist. One thing I want you to notice about this text that's so important is it says the, the wrath of God remains. That's why I have it italicized. Listen to this. The wrath of God remains on those who don't obey Him. What's the difference and why does that matter? Well, it tells us this. We're born at enmity with God. We are, we are born at enmity with God. We're born enemies. That's right. The smallest, cutest little babies, even this morning, who are in the little window at Baptist Women's Hospital, are born as enemies of God. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around, I know. But we are born at enmity with God. And they, the smallest, cutest little babies, are under the wrath of a holy God. And so were you. Here's the good news. There's a way out from underneath that wrath. And doesn't that all sound unfair? Trust me, it's very unfair. Because he who was rich beyond measure who knew no sin, left his palace to come and trade with us. To die the death that we should have. To live the life that we should have. That's not fair at all. You're right. It's called grace. Because you've got to wrap your head around this word remains. That means that every human on planet earth was or is under the wrath of God because of the rebellion, yep, just of our first parents. And here's what it means. Something supernatural has to intervene to change that path. We're born on a path of destruction. And that means like without stopping it, it's going to happen. We are, going, we are born dying. And without someone or something intervening to take us out of that, it's going to happen. This is not a, well, we're good, we grow up, we do a couple bad things, then God decides to be against us. Then God goes, oh, now you're bad at age 16, at age 21. Now you've blown it. 
That means from the get-go, and we're on a path to hell. We're on a path to destruction without the blood of Christ intervening on our behalf. The wrath is already there and simply remains if we reject Christ. Is that not mind-blowing? That's a good point to end on. I want to tell you, and and I want you to listen, there are two types of people in this room. If you hear my voice, and I beg you, hear my voice. If you are listening to my voice right now, you are in one of two categories. There's no, no alternative. There's no third. You are in one of two places. There are those who truly do believe in the Son, and that means that, that they've obeyed, that they've trusted, that they've submitted. And then there are those who have not obeyed the Son. That would mean that you've rejected Him. You've not truly believed Him. The first group has experienced God in a supernatural but a personal way. And the wrath that was aimed at them, it was aimed there, but it was spent on Jesus. It was spent on Jesus instead of us. Not of their own merit. Not of things that we did. Not because we were good. The second group has not. The second group might believe, you might believe that tradition or just an emotional attachment to a being or or a God or things that you've done, or things that you haven't done, morality or logic. Uh, the Grand Canyon's beautiful. There must be a God, so I believe there's a God, so I'm safe. You might believe that those things equate to belief or obedience, but the Bible is very clear, my friend, that it does not. The Bible is, in fact, clear that those who haven't truly believed and obeyed are still under the wrath of a holy God. Um, I've been in a federal courtroom before during a very serious trial. And I, I, cannot, I cannot even begin to rightly express the weight felt in that setting. Seeing on every screen in the courtroom says the United States of America versus so-and-so. And it has a name. I mean, everything about it is heavy. The silence... Uh, the judge, uh, the accusations, the charges, you know, towards this person being read, the, the potential um, punishment being read. It's just a heavy, weighty, weighty, scary, serious thing. But listen, the courtroom of a very powerful nation pales in comparison to the courtroom of a holy God. It's child's play. It pales in comparison. My friends, I'm begging you, do not leave the building without coming to the sun. And this is the weight that the original author uh, intended for his audience to feel. He wanted, it was this good news and oh, Nicodemus and that was cool and John the Baptist, he's, he's loving and he must increase and then he ends this. But... If you disobey this son, the wrath of God remains on you. Come to the son. He delights to save. That's why he came. This is why whoever believes in the son has eternal life. In the song, Jesus, lover of my soul, it's one of my favorite lines. We sing, cover my defenseless head with the shadow of your wing. Are you covered? 
So I end with a charge to both parties. Believer. So believer. You have something to rejoice over today. You have something to change your life today. Wrath that you were owed was transferred from you to Jesus. And then His riches and His righteousness that He was owed was transferred to you. That's good news. Non-believer. And you're out there. You're out there. Non-believer. The offer of the gospel says that you don't simply have to remain under the wrath of God. The offer of Jesus Christ says that you don't simply have to remain under the wrath of God one more day. So my question is, will you call upon the name of the Lord? This is what He asks. This is what He requires. Not your goodness, not an eloquent prayer, not a speech, not, well, you got to work on some stuff first. got to clean some stuff up first, then have a chat with someone who knows a thing. All it requires is that helplessly you throw yourself upon His mercy. You call upon the name of the Lord. And He promises to save you, to rescue you, to remove wrath that's aimed at you and spend that upon His Son, Jesus. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, my heart is burdened because I'm convinced that Your wrath is aimed at many in this room. And we look okay. Everyone in here is dressed decently and no one's out raping and murdering and no one's robbed a bank this morning and no one's set a cross on fire and we're generally staying within the lines. Lord, Your Word says that that's not enough. Your word equates this word believing with obeying. And Lord, it is a very serious thing. When we look at the pattern of many of our lives and we look at what we actually live for, we can say what we live for, but Lord, when we actually examine what do we do, what are we actually living for, we see that there's a great discrepancy with believing and obeying you and what we actually are doing. Lord, for those in this room who are burdened over their sin, but they truly have believed You, they truly have submitted, Lord, would You give them rest? Lord, give us rest. Lord, when we're in You, You don't want to scare us. You want us to run to You like a, like a father. So for those of us who truly have obeyed, truly have submitted, truly have believed, Lord, show us the seriousness of our sin, but give us, give us rest. Give us sweet communion with You. But Lord, for those who have not, Lord, I pray that you would be so after them and they would not leave. Lord, they would not walk out of the building without truly having dealt with, whether it's to talk to someone or whether it's to not, whether it's just to right here, right now, in the moment, just cry out and say, God, I am so unworthy. My life is so messy. I've never really submitted. I've never really obeyed. I'm calling out to you to rescue me. All I have is this faith that you have meant what you've said, that you are who you say you are. 
I want to be done with sin. I want to repent of it. I want to find you to be beautiful. And I'm placing my trust in you. Lord, if even it's as simple as that and, and, and man never knows and we never know, Lord, may you be glorified through that. Lord, in all things, may we see you as beautiful. You're not, you're, you're not a mean God. You are a loving God. Your wrath is perfect because your glory is perfect. You will protect your holy name. And it's for our good that you will. So thank you, thank you for covering many of our defenseless heads with the shadow of your wing. I pray that it actually motivate holy living. We ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.